Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. Whether you are in the room live, watching live online, later on demand, or listening to our podcast, we're excited to start a new year with you. January is a great time to refocus and re-energize your spiritual journey. God is ready, willing, and more than able to do something new in you this year, and I promise you won't want to miss out on that. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. Our team loves to challenge, encourage, and equip people just like you to become more like Jesus. There is nothing more important in life than your relationship with Him, and we are committed to helping you grow in your love and devotion to Him. If this is your first time visiting Dayspring, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. We're just like you, imperfect people on a journey. We're allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives learning to live like Him, a little more today than yesterday, a little more tomorrow than today. Even if you aren't sure that you're ready to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of His followers, well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking those same questions and looking for answers too, so I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Welcome to the new year and a new sermon series. For the next 12 weeks, we will be studying uh, the New Testament book of Hebrews in a series that we are calling Greater. Now, we're excited to dive into the book that shows us that Jesus Christ is superior to everything and everyone in all of history. He is greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets, greater than the Old Testament law, and greater than the legalism of religious leaders. Jesus is greater than any challenge we are facing or that we will face. He's our hope. He, he is our source of faith and love. Now, we're living in a world of uncertainty, and it's easy to get bogged down in the difficulties of life and forget that Jesus is greater. It's hard to keep the faith when we don't know exactly what's next in our lives, which is actually funny because that's what faith is, not knowing and still trusting. Now, I don't know about you, but I prefer knowing what's next or what to expect or at least what the facts of the situation are. I'm a problem solver. I like to know what I'm working with to solve a problem. I'm a crisis manager by nature. And when it comes to crisis management or problem solving, I have a tip for you. It helps to evaluate the situation by asking yourself two questions. What do I know? And what don't I know? And this two-question principle also works with studying the Bible. And we can start with what we know and then consider what we don't know. We can look at what is known and what is unknown by scholars. 
And sometimes we get to build our faith by being okay with not knowing an answer until we meet Jesus face to face. And that's true both of, in life and in studying the Bible. So before we dive into the first chapter of Hebrews, let's start our series by doing a brief overview of this book. Hebrews is one book of the New Testament where we don't have as much information regarding the writing. So let's start with what we don't know. We don't know for sure who the author is. There's much speculation regarding Paul, Luke, Barnabas, Apollos, and even Priscilla. But at the end of the day, God is the author. The Bible tells us that all of Scripture is God-breathed. Now, although Scripture is technically written by humans, God has given those individuals the exact words to write. And it doesn't really matter who penned what we um, actually call an epistle or a letter. We know that God himself is the official author, and so we can rest in that. Now, another thing we're not sure of is who the writing was intended for. This letter of sorts has indications that it was meant for a specific group of readers, not the general public. Even when a letter is written to a specific group, that doesn't mean that there is nothing for us. The people and the context are always important to understand as far as we can. That helps us have a clearer picture of the application. Now, with that said, even when we have little understanding or knowledge about those things, we can still learn and apply what is being taught to some degree. What God is teaching his people, or what we would call spiritual truth, is always true, and it's for everyone. So we can always learn something from God's word. It appears that this letter was written to a group of people who have put their spiritual life on pause. Now, that may hit home for some of us at one time or another. Many of us put our spiritual growth on pause, waiting for things to get back to normal, or waiting for motivation, or waiting for more time, or waiting for you fill in the blank. This letter is intended to motivate the readers to get back in the game and remind them just who Jesus is and why our relationship with him is so important and why we should value and prioritize cultivating our relationship with Jesus. Now, it's unclear if the letter was written to Jews, Christian Jews, or Gentiles. There's some argument for all three. Again, we still have ample application for our own lives, regardless of who the original recipients were. Now, this is true of all scripture. Culture and audience definitely help us understand the meaning of God's word. But even if we're not sure of that context, God will still use his word to impact our spiritual growth. Now, another thing we don't know for sure is the date of the writing. Probably sometime near or during uh, the war of AD 66-70, something like that. And knowing the date of a document helps us to fit it in, into the timeline of history. But even so, God's truths are timeless. 
And because God's truths are timeless, they will apply even when we don't know exactly where they fit into God's timeline. We don't know for sure who the author is. And this isn't essential knowledge because we can, God can speak through anyone that he chooses. And we don't know who the intended audience was. And since spiritual truth is true for everyone, that information isn't essential either. And we don't know the exact time this letter was written, but we don't need to. Spiritual truth never changes. It is always true. And God is sovereign, and we don't necessarily need to know who or when because God's truth always applies. So now let's look at what we do know. We know that God's word always has something to teach us. The purpose of God's word is to teach and encourage us to keep moving forward, to keep becoming the men and women that God wants us to be. And the book of Hebrews does not disappoint. Now, throughout the book of Hebrews, we will learn uh, more about the superiority of Christ over all things. We'll gain a better understanding of we, what we call the new covenant in relationship to what we call the old covenant. We will look at our role and the role of Christ when it comes to perseverance. And we'll see how faith pleases God and how discipline and hardship grow us in Christian living. The book of Hebrews is a great bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So before we begin to dive into chapter 1, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Old Testament. We thank you for the New Testament. And we thank you for this incredible bridge that you have given us to connect those two things together. So God, uh, we're going to start today. We're going for 12 weeks. And so I'm just so excited to see how you enlighten us and how you refresh how we think about you and how we interact with Jesus and how we give you control of our lives. So God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go ahead and start with Hebrews chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So right away, we're reminded that God is at work. He's active. He's speaking to his people in many different ways. In Old Testament times, God spoke through the prophets. God chose specific individuals to be his mouthpiece to the people. And if you wanted to speak with God, you had to go through a priest or a prophet who could approach God and then get back to you. I'm not sure how that would work for us. How would we handle that in our instant internet world today? I don't think we have the patience for that. God spoke in some amazing ways. In Old Testament times, Moses encountered the voice of God in a burning bush. Elijah heard a still, small voice. And Isaiah had a vision in the temple. From visions and dreams to natural events and angels or a pillar of fire or smoke, God spoke in ways that individuals would understand and be able to recognize his voice. 
It was how he chose to communicate his message to people. Now, have you ever wondered what that was like? Or maybe you wished that you could experience God's voice that way? I mean, a burning bush sounds kind of cool. But I wonder if the prophets of old are up in heaven going, wow, those guys sure have it easy. I mean, they have the written word to study and they have the Holy Spirit to help them understand. That is so cool. We're cooler than the Old Testament prophets. Again, the Old Testament communication from God was through his chosen prophets. And there is some discussion regarding actual interpretation of the word through in this verse. Now, some believe that it is translated to mean through them, and some uh, believe that it's translated to mean in them. Either way, God used the prophets from Old Testament times both in speech and in action to teach, warn, and encourage his people. Now, through Jesus, uh, though Jesus is the new mouthpiece for God, it does not negate the truths of the Old Testament prophets. The Old Testament is still the infallible word of God. It is just incomplete. Jesus is the completion of God's word. In his commentary, Michael Kruger used the illustration of a play. And he says, if you went to see a five-act play and missed the last act, it wouldn't nullify the importance of the first four acts. You're disappointed because they're, not that there's anything wrong with the first four acts, but because the play isn't finished for you yet. You need an ending to make it complete. The writer of Hebrews isn't introducing Jesus as a new story, but the finishing of the old story, which is why it is important to know how God spoke through the prophets in order to better understand how that led to his final word in Jesus. Verse 2. And now in these final days he has spoken to us through his Son, God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance, and through the Son, he created the universe. Now, of course, we tend to think of final days or last days as in the future when Christ returns. In fact, the last days are now. The last days refers to where we are in the timeline of history, and there's a new thing coming. We are living in the last period of time, however long that might be, until Christ returns. Now, the writing is talking to those who are familiar with Old Testament prophets. Uh, Jesus is not just the next prophet in a line of prophets. He is the new thing. Jesus is bringing in a new age altogether. God is doing something new. And it's not new to God, but it's new to them. God promised everything to Jesus as an inheritance. Now, some versions say heir of all things, which is a title of dignity, and it shows that Christ has the supreme place in all of the universe. His exaltation to the highest place in heaven after his work on earth was done did not mark some new level of dignity. 
His exaltation to the highest place marked his re-entry to his rightful place with God the Father. And the last part of this verse reminds us that all things were created through Christ. The universe as well as the ages. For by him all things were created, both in heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus is the perfect creator and the perfect sovereign ruler over all of creation, past, present, and future. And the next truth we see is in verse 3. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. Now, Jesus is not only the perfect reflection of God's glory. He is the exact representation of God's being. Now, exact representation could be translated as character. And this word is used to reference an engraved character that would be used to mark or stamp an exact image. Now, a simple example would be a stamp that would be used to impress a coin. And that coin is the exact replica of the stamp. Jesus is the exact replica of God. And the word sustaining means more than, you know, carrying along as opposed to holding up. The thought of carrying along toward a great goal versus holding up a weight in one place. And it reminds us that Jesus is continually at work carrying us along in our journey to becoming more like Christ. And it, this doesn't just apply to people. It applies to everything. The entire universe is being carried along by Jesus, moving forward to the day when he returns. And the last part of verse 3 gets down to the gospel business, the reason that Christ came, to make us clean and provide a way for mankind to have a personal relationship with our creator for all of eternity. Now, it's important to remember that although Jesus is our Savior, he is also the ruler of the world. He is the king whom we have offended and often rebel against. And even so, he became man and gave his own life for us in such a way that we can't even imagine the pain and the difficulty. Any other king in the world would destroy his enemies. But Jesus saves his. And when I think of Jesus only as savior, I forget his kingship. And I slip into taking him for granted. Jesus is the king of the world. And this king suffered and died for me and for you. 
If you're unsure what that means for your life, I would love to talk more about that with you. Pastor Chris would love to talk more about that with you. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, today is the day to change that. Just, just pray a simple, authentic prayer. Admitting that you've done wrong and that you want God's forgiveness and that you want to begin a lifelong, intimate relationship with him. And then tell us or someone else that can help you with your next steps. Jesus came down to earth to teach everything that an intimate, personal relationship with our maker is possible. And after Jesus completed his ministry here on earth, he sat down at the right hand of God. In the ancient world, the hand was symbolic. It could either bestow grace or impart punishment. It also represented authority. The right hand was special. One, because the left hand was used universally for sanitation purposes, which brought the left hand disrespect. Also, most people were right-handed. So the right hand was more important. It was metaphorically significant. It was assigned many duties of importance. Now the term right hand man is, is common to us. It, it refers to one who is important in our success. Sitting at the right hand of authority represents a special place of high honor. It also represents partnership and fellowship. Now, regarding verse 4, some versions say, uh, so he, meaning Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he was inherited is superior to theirs. The word became seems odd because we know that Christ has always been superior as he is the exact representation of God. This word became represents what Jesus did in becoming man and taking on the sins of the world. Jesus had always been superior above the angels, but now he has taken on the sins of the world and has returned to his rightful place of honor. Next, the author compares and contrasts Christ and the angels. And then in the days of the early church, many were taught that angels were the, the way to approach God. In other words, people were taught to pray to angels instead of to Jesus. And in some cases, people were worshiping angels instead of Jesus. And there was a thought that Jesus was the highest angel, not the Christ. Now, chapter 1, verses 5 through 14 give us a comparison between angels and Christ. And the author wants to make clear the position of Christ. Now, these verses use seven Old Testament verses to show the superiority of Christ over angels. Let's talk about angels for just a minute. You know, angels are a fascination for many. Uh, there have been very successful TV shows about angels. Uh, how many of you are old enough to remember Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon? How about Touched by an Angel? Yeah, that was another one back in the day. You know, modern day thinking seems to be that angels are like people, except that they have, you know, some sort of superpower or wings or something. 
or that there are invisible beings with wings flying around in white robes. You know, cherubim and seraphim are the only angels in Scripture that are described as having wings. And you often hear people talk about their loved ones who have passed on and, and how now they are angels watching over them. And this thought can bring comfort when someone is missing a loved one. And I want to be sensitive to your loss. But that is not biblical. Humans do not become angels. When we die, our spirit either goes to live with Jesus or it goes to live with Satan. We do not become angels. And if you're struggling with that truth, please contact us. We would love to support you in your grief while encouraging you in the word of God. And the Bible says that Jesus sends his angels to accomplish his work and to watch over his people. And I've personally experienced angelic presence. Many of my family members have also. It's not something that I talk about much unless someone asks. Partly because God sometimes does something so intimate and private that it isn't to share. But sometimes sharing encourages others. So I'm going to share just one short story from my family. Now, I have a nephew who is a handsome young man who is a deeply devoted follower of Christ. And when he was a small child, he was what we would diagnose today as hyperactive. And as a toddler, his family lived on a very busy main street. And he was particularly good at scaling the fence or escaping out of the house, among other dangerous activities, which of course often put him in harm's way. And I was concerned that my niece might be worried about him. Um, I mean, most of the adults were. Not because the family wasn't paying attention. They were definitely paying attention. He was just that quick and creative. Anyway, I asked his older sister, who was probably, you know, elementary school at the time, I said, do you worry about your little brother? She goes, no, he's always got those three angels hanging around him. God allowed her to see his protection over her baby brother. And the Bible says that angels are created beings and that they worship Jesus and do whatever he needs them to do. And that includes protecting the followers of Christ. Now, we could do an entire study on angels, but for the sake of time, here's a very brief description of their duties. Now, we'll start with the good angels. Angels, in fact, are messengers of God. They are uh, God's workforce, his army. And there seems to be a rank and file of angels, a hierarchy, so to speak. Uh, they do only what they are commanded by God. They can appear or disappear at will. And although they are not human, they sometimes appear in human form. They can strike down or heal. And their mission is to do the will of God to serve humanity and to glorify Jesus. Now, Scripture also tells us about bad angels. The Bible calls them demons. And their leader would be Lucifer or Satan. In short, Satan is an angel. He was in heaven at one time where he rebelled against God and convinced a third of the angels to follow suit. And they were cast out of heaven for a time and have great power over the earth. 
He is also known as the enemy, which is an understatement. He comes to kill and steal and destroy all that we are and can be. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have the power to tell the enemy and his minions to flee. And they must obey. So this letter is re-educating the readers about who they should be worshiping, Jesus and not the angels. Jesus, or, Jesus and not the angels. And the author outlines why Jesus is superior to the angels. So look at, let's look at verses 5 through 14. We'll start with verse 5. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. Jesus is God's son. There's a father-son relationship which the angels cannot claim. At no time did God ever call an angel his son nor has he called himself father to an angel. Angels are beings created through Jesus to worship and serve the son, Jesus, because of who he is. Angels are workers for God's purpose, and while Jesus is the creator and author of and ruler over all existence. Jesus is also called the firstborn. The firstborn in a Jewish family held the place of the highest privilege among the siblings. They also held a place of highest responsibility. The role of firstborn has a much deeper meaning than it does for us today. Verse 6. And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, Let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he says, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. You rule with the scepter of justice. You love justice and hate evil. Therefore, O God, your God has anointed you, pouring out the oil of joy on you more than on anyone else. He also says to the Son, in the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you will remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. And God never said to any of the angels, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore, angels are only servants, spirits sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. Turned to his rightful place of honor. Now, Jesus was God's agent in creation. And although creation is temporary, Christ is eternal. Now, Christ sits at God's right hand with his feet on his enemies. The angels stand before God while Christ sits at the right hand of God. And the right hand position is not a subordinate position as if he were a junior God. To be at God's right hand means that Jesus has all of God's authority. Now one day, 
Every enemy of the Lord will be crushed under his feet. He will rest his feet on them as a footstool. The warrior king who has conquered all of evil for all of eternity is my king. He is my king because I invited him to be in charge of my life. I gave him full permission to change and grow me into the woman he wants me to become. Now, Jesus is either your king or he can be. You are either his worshiper or his enemy. Now, we don't generally consider ourselves his enemy. We just don't consider him. Now, this sounds harsh, very harsh. It is harsh. But what the Bible teaches in Luke 11.23 says, Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working uh, with me is actually against me. Now, I hate to go all fire and brimstone on you, but Jesus loves you, and he wants to be your king. It's really up to you. The angels are sent out to serve Jesus. The angels do his bidding because he is the king. And this king sends his angels out to serve for the sake of those who follow Christ. That's part of the package when we decide to follow Jesus. And now the angels in heaven are working on our behalf. The throne of Jesus will last for all of eternity. The enemy will scour the earth temporarily. Choosing a relationship with Jesus and life in him is to experience his glory forever. The greatness of Jesus can't be understood by our human minds. His glory and majesty, his love and grace come together in a beautiful love and forgiveness that we cannot experience any other way and that will never change because Jesus never changes his authority never changes and we've talked about how great Jesus is his love is great his love for us and desire for us to live a holy life that brings joy is what he's all about it is so amazing to think um, about the creator of all things, the Holy One, has the ability to build up and destroy in an instant, loves me, loves you so much that he gave up his greatness to become a man and to feel and experience all the emotions and pain that we experience firsthand. Not that he needed to, he already knew, but we needed him to so that we could understand that he understands. And we would know that he actually, he's been there. It was the only way that we could in our feeble human minds grasp that he knows what we are going through at any given moment. That is the Jesus who's running after you. If you already have a relationship with him, he's continually working in and with and through the Holy Spirit to help you become more like him. 
And if you don't have a relationship with him, he's running after you because he wants you to experience the love and the joy and the forgiveness that's available to you. There is nothing Jesus wants more than for you to understand his love for you and seek him with your whole heart. As powerful as he is, we have free will. We get to choose if and when and how we will follow him. I choose yes. I choose now. I choose wholeheartedly. What do you choose? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious God you are. Your mercies and your grace beyond our understanding. Your love we cannot fathom because we're not capable of loving that way. So God, we invite you, everyone who is listening today is in a different place in their walk with you. But your desire is the same for each one. And that is to be closer. And so God, I pray that collectively and individually, as Big C Church and little I individual, God, that we just give you free reign, that you open our eyes and hearts to the places that you want to work. God, we love you, Lord, and we give you full reign to be king over every aspect of our lives. In Jesus' name, and all the people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions on your own or with others will help the truth of God's Word begin to shape your life as you grow to be like Jesus. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen or you can call the church during the week. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. We counted a privilege to play a small part in God's perfect work in you today. The people who call Dayspring their home church make this ministry possible. Their faithful giving is proof of God's work in their lives and they want to pay it forward so you can experience the same life-changing presence of Jesus. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail us a check at the address you'll find on our website. Until we meet again, I am praying that God will give you opportunities to use your influence for the glory of His kingdom. One easy way to do that is to share this service with your friends and family. If this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. All of these simple acts of kindness on your part, God uses to plant seeds in other people's lives. So keep sowing.